2: The story. I really must go. And he says, Oh, the children want to sing for you. And they're singing these Romanian songs. I'm praying, talking to the Lord, saying, How can I tell them you love them when they're living like this? How do you expect you to say to them that you love them, God, when they're living in this kind of situation? Mm. How can I ever walk away from these kids?
0: G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, today, quite frankly, we have one that will tug at your heartstrings. And as we'll hear, Philip Cameron has had his heartstrings tugged by orphans in Moldova. He has been part of a musical group, the Cameron Singers, and traveling internationally. Until God changed the direction of his life, Philip shares his journey with Shelley Scowan today on The Story. And parents, we just want to warn you that there will be some adult themes being discussed relating to human trafficking that are not recommended for young listeners.
1: Philip, let's give a bit of background. You're a normal, ordinary bloke, brought up in Scotland, got married over there. Yes, got married there, uh, had four kids and you took them around the world in their kilts and you became the singing Camerons.
2: Yes, we did. Going back a few years there? Oh my Lord, my my father and his brothers are all alcoholics. My grandfather was, my great-grandfather was. We were the town drunks in Peterhead, Scotland. And the Lord found us and and just turned us from radical drunks into radical Jesus lovers. And uh, we began to write these praise songs and and literally sang them all over the world. And uh, so I thought my lot was set just to sing and travel and, 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 you know, be on TV and sing these praise songs that we'd written. But um, God had different plans.
1: How old were the kids at this time?
2: Well, my kids were just little kids. I mean... We had, a, we had a bus that we toured in America in, and, and uh, in fact, my son Philip was lying in his bassinet on the, on the front of the bus many nights as we were driving through the night to the next service. <laughs> so, you know, we, we started. I, I personally went to America and started this thing with my dad in 1969.
1: Wow. Yes, well, that is going back a few years there. I guess you've got uh, compared quite often to the Von Trapp family singers. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, I wish. Oh, how I wish. <laughs>
1: Well, you you're still passionate about Scotland. It's still on your heart and you're seeing some really great fruit coming from the New Hope Trust that you set up. Can you tell us a bit about that ministry?
2: Yeah, my dad and I began a Bible college there in in the early 70s and the young folk from there went literally have built Bible schools and churches all over the world. And um sadly my father began to decline in health and and eventually passed away and uh, so that, that part closed and we're just about to reopen it again because of what has happened with our ministry in Moldova. And uh, so what, what we thought was done and over with um, is, is about to begin again under a new name. Instead of calling the New York Trust, we're calling it Voice School of Ministry.
1: Wow. And you can just keep changing and moving with the times and continue Absolutely. to have an impact there. I also want to talk to you a bit later on about the amazing story of your family. You did mention about how you used to be the town drunks and then an amazing thing happened. So we'll get to that uh, later on. But I do want to talk to you about this orphanage and, uh, I guess, the progression from the orphanage in Moldova. Philip, you visited Romania in 1990, which was just after the fall of communism there. Yes, yes. And you saw firsthand the needs of people over there, and particularly those in orphanages.
2: Yeah, well, what happened was, as, as I said to you, my, my father was still alive during these times. I had moved to America um, can you imagine I'm a Scotchman who lives in Alabama? How bad is that? You, it, 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 don't tell me that God doesn't have a sense of humor. <laughs> and so we'd had quite a bit of success there. And um, I, I was 37 years of age. I'd, I'd met all my goals and checked off all the things I wanted to do. And one day the phone rang in my in my living room. And it was my dad on the phone. He was recovering from cancer surgery at the time. And, he, and, he, and he, the phone rang. And I picked up and I said, hello. And this voice, my dad's voice, he says, do you know that our babies dying? And I said, what are you saying? What? He says, do you understand that there are babies dying? And I said, what are you talking about, Dad? He said, I'm watching the news right now, he says, and, and there are kids in orphanages in Romania dying. And I said, look, I don't know wh- wh- why you're telling me this stuff. I didn't even know what Romania was. I said, look, I says, people do this kind of thing. Believe this is not our, don't, don't get me involved in this kind of stuff. I'll send a hundred bucks to somebody, but don't, you know. And I kind of pawned him off, and then the next night he called me back and he says, Do you know that our baby's dying? And this went on for a whole week, and, and at the end of the week he says, Well, I'll tell you what, he says, If you won't go with me, I'm going to go there myself, and if I die on the way, it's your fault. <laughs> and that was my introduction, so I was there kicking and screaming. thought, I, you know, just, I was, I didn't know if the cancer had spread in his body, I didn't know what to do. I was just being an obedient son, so I went along with him just literally. And I mean, this, this is terrible, Shelly. I just wanted to shut him up and, and stop this nonsense. <laughs> and I, I walked into the orphanage, and the smell of human waste was so bad. I dropped a box of milk powder in my hand, and I dropped it. And I ran outside, and I was gagging on the, the bonnet of our car to be driven there and, and he came out and he says, get in there I said no I'm not going I'm not going in there he said you get in there don't but these folk live like this don't be I said dad you wanted to come here I've taken you leave me alone you go in there he says you are coming in and I said if I stay here I'm innocent if I go in there I'm guilty and he grabbed me by my my, my collar and he said well you're going to have to be guilty and he hauled me in to my destiny Thank the Lord
1: for Dad, eh? Hey? I guess. <laughs> <laughs> he sounds like quite the man, um, as you've been saying about the things that he has helped you with and now shoved you into what was going to be an amazing mission because he then died and you've really taken that on.
2: Well, what happened was, as I'm saying, I, I was there one time, I was done. We got in the van and we drove all the way back to Scotland, 66 hours non-stop. And um, I was so burdened and passioned by... The, the, the need of what I'd seen that if I had more stuff and money I'd have gone back in the truck all the way back to Romania again and um, I, I went back and forth the next time I went back I found a wee boy sitting in this orphanage covered in his own waist with all his head full of scabs and um, starving to death and the Lord spoke to me and he says that's your son and by the end of the year I'd adopted him and he's now a 28 year old man and God used him to hook me to keep going back one more time. They needed beds. I'll, 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 I'll fix the beds and I'm done. And then the, the roof was leaking. Well, I'll fix the roof and I'm done. And, and huh. they needed toilets. They had no toilets to sit on. They used coffee cans. These babies sat on coffee tins. Mm-hmm. And all around their bottom was just a ring with the edge of the can. And I put in toilets in there. And all the time God was just sucking me in more and more to this destiny. And um, so what I'm saying is this, people listen to us, you never know what God might have you do when you, when you start out on a journey of obedience.
1: Mm. And for you, it literally was obedience. Like you said, it was obedience to your dad and then knowing. I liked what you said when you were outside that orphanage that if you go inside, you're guilty. And I think we all need that kind of shot of reality. Now that we know about these needs, we're guilty and we have to do something about it.
2: If you see someone in need, the man who fell among thieves lay beside the road. And the priest walked past him. He had a religious reason for not helping him. If he gets blood on his hands, he can't go into the temple. The next guy was the Levite. And he went over and said to the... He's talking to the man that's dying. And he said, I hate to tell you this, but you're in an awful mess. And the man said, please don't leave me here to die. Please, mister. And that man went to the temple and he was the guy that paid the bills. And... To look at someone in need and just walk away and say, well, it's going to cost me too much. doesn't do much for God. Yeah. But the Good Samaritan came and helped. And I believe that God's looking in this day and age for people who are not caught up in religious ideas and caught up with money ideas, but are more interested in what God's heart sees and how God's heart sees things.
1: Yeah. And God has just expanded your heart, too, in so oh, many yeah, ways. Yeah. So Romania was just the start. You then went on to onto Moldova that borders Romania, yeah. uh, and you went to another orphanage there. Tell us what you saw there.
2: Well, what happened was we built a warehouse in Scotland with lorries going back and forth with stuff, and it was Christmas time, and we, we gave away thousands of Christmas presents. So my dad caught the phone rang, it's him again, and he says, don't stay with the truck to Romania. I've been watching, reading in the papers about this orphanage in, in, in Chess." It's called the Dying Rooms of Moldova. I said, what are you talking He said, don't go to Romania, go to Moldova. I said, where in the name of goodness is Moldova, Dad? He says, it's just one more country, over. So I got in a car in Budapest and drove and said hello to the team from Scotland in the truck in Romania and headed off across the Carpathian Mountains in a blizzard and got to this place in Hinchest and it was a, a handicapped girl's orphanage. And I walked in, and the director, an old grizzly communist guy, looked at me, and he fixed his eyes on me, and he looked, and, 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 and he said to me in Russian, interpreter, he says, "Have you ever seen a baby freeze to death?" And my stomach turned, and I says, "No, sir." And this was the 11th of December, and 16 had frozen to death that year already. Wow. And the smell of, oh, if, if Andrew's offering was bad. This place was a hundred times worse. There was not a light bulb in the place, Shelley. I would say but 20% of the glass was broken in the windows, and, and a jet stream of ice was coming through the, the holes in the glass. There was no heating. The, the kids had all the clothes on. that they, they knew. And I walked around this place, and I put my hands in the pockets. It was so bad. And I'm saying to myself, Philip, think this is just a video. Don't even, don't touch them. Don't touch them. And I'm trying to get away from the place all the time, and the director kept showing me more rooms of handicapped babies, just horrible messes of babies, so sick. And I, I said, I really must go. And he says, oh, the children want to sing for you. And they're singing these Romanian songs, and the Lord's said, tell them I love them. And I'm, saying, I'm praying, talking to the Lord, saying, how can I tell them you love them when they're living like this? How do you expect me to say to them that you love them, God, when they're living in this kind of situation? and um so this guy was playing the accordion and i said you 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 keep the bellows going i'll play the keyboard and i I started playing chords and began to sing, yes jesus loves me and i tried to sing it in romanian and i'm thinking i'm embarrassed to tell these kids are freezing and starving in this place that god loves them how will they ever accept this and a a bit of silence after i sang it and then they began to sing to me this is the day this is the day that the Lord in Russian. Wow. And all of a sudden, this, this line, we will be glad, we will rejoice and be glad in it. And I thought, oh my God, how can I ever walk away from these kids?
0: You're listening to The Story. Today, Shelley Scowen is chatting with Philip Cameron, author of the book, They Call Me Dad. How God uses the unlikely to save the discarded. Next, we'll hear more of his story and how one particular orphan girl had a profound impact on his life and on his ministry. That and more when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax, and this is The Story. We're continuing with Shelley Scowen chatting with Philip Cameron, who is a preacher, singer, and founder of a ministry that runs homes in Moldova, designed to rescue orphan girls from human trafficking. Next, we'll hear about one particular orphan girl who has had a profound impact on his life and... On his entire ministry.
2: And in that room was a wee girl called Stella. Paralyzed in the left hand side of her body. And she was an amazing girl. And um, she became a friend. And, and she loved perfumes. And I'd bring a wee bottles of perfume. And she would make me tapestries with her good hand. And um, she was the girl that changed my destiny.
1: Yeah, you befriended her and I guess visited her a few times. A lot of times. But then. I go and
2: see her and, and she suffered from epilepsy and sometimes she was so sick and I've, I've got a video of me praying for her and um, she was just an amazing kid.
1: Yeah. And it, it broke your heart then when you went to visit her one day and she wasn't there.
2: Well, my wife Chrissy came over on this particular trip and I saw. I can't wait for you to meet Stella because Chrissy had collected threads and, and, and tapestries, material, I don't know what you call it, this, you know, that you make the tapestries with. Yeah. And I would always bring over, and Chrissy, you know, she, she was into art and craft stuff, so she would talk to churches and I, I brought this girl more stuff than she could ever have used. So I, I went with Chrissy to the place and I, I asked the doctor, usually Stella would meet me at the door and I would say, you know, she'd be, she'd say, Stella, I feel persistent and she carry boxes for me and things. And she wasn't there, and I says to Dr. Ludmilla, I says, Where's Stella? Where's Stella? Morit. And she going to laugh. I says, Morit, which means dead. What? I says, dead? Da. I says, how? HIV. HIV. Uh. And they put her on the street, and she died of AIDS. And I'm thinking, what kind of life must she have led before she died and it's still the thing that drives me all the time I failed her so badly I I, I could have done so much more for that lovely girl and um, out of that that's when I discovered with trafficking I, didn't, I had no idea I'm I a, 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 a Christian boy from my youth and I never thought of this I didn't even conceive that fuck would do this and um some of the girls in another orphanage i have been working on asked me one day what do your kids call you and I, I called me dad and they called Chrissy mom and they said can we call you dad and it dawned on me that they were about to be at 16 a girl is given $30 and put on the street
1: yes because they've aged out of the orphanage Finished system the,
2: yeah and, and traffickers come and get them and mm. use them 30 to 50 times a day until they kill them wow and I said oh my god what am I going to do and I, I I I didn't know, and I found an old a, a, a house that had been was built but hadn't been finished. And um, I looked at old houses to rent, and they they were it was just terrible conditions. And uh, I I bought this place and fixed it up, and I called it Stella's house after Stella. And we filled that one, and and I said, "Oh Lord," and I built a second one, and I filled that one, and I built a third one, and I filled that one. And then we opened a boys' home. And so now we've got five or six of these girls' homes. And, and let me say this, and this is very important to understand, Shelley. Awareness doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Awareness is for us to be aware. All these girls know about traffickers in the orphanage, believe me. The government shows them a video of traffickers. But if they don't have a bed to go to and sleep and a school to go to to learn, they're going to end up taking a risk to go with somebody. And that's when the hell starts. Yeah. And so we are building as much. In fact, this last week, one of our one of the men of our organization was in um, Moldova, and we just bought a village, six houses in this compound, beautiful little village. That um, the houses are almost finished, and um, we took the biggest, crazy step of faith we've ever taken in our life to buy this place. is 1.2 million U.S. dollars, and I'm thinking, Lord, I'm absolutely out of a mind. And he said, no, you might think that you're not out of my heart. (laughs) And I'd rather be in God's heart than my mind. Yeah. So we're about to start to finish these off and open them up. And uh, I sure could use yours and everybody's prayer.
1: Yeah. Wow. What a calling from God to get in and help all these people. And so really it's a, a relatively simple concept where you're just providing the next step of you know, this is another place for the sixteen-year-olds to come and stay, and yeah. you're giving them that safe house and um, you're giving them the family that they need.
2: Yeah, and it's, and, and that's important. If you just provide them food and a bed, that's, th- that that doesn't change in the life. The gospel changes the life. Mm. And what we do, this is one of the themes of what we do in Moldova and anywhere else. We turn orphans into daughters. Hmm. Yeah. And um, the kids that we have with us here are no longer, in fact, they'll laugh. At, if, you, if you try to tell them they're an orphan, they'll laugh at you. <laughs> because they are so far removed from that life that they've become our daughters. And because they're our daughters, they want to help me do more for God and for other kids.
1: Philip, it's all stemmed out of your own personal salvation, too. Uh, your family was renowned as the family drunks. But then everything turned around.
2: Yeah, every one of our family members were alcoholics, all the men, for over 200 years. And uh, my uncle Michael, my dad's oldest brother, was up in the last World War, breaking an American boat that had been torpedoed by the Nazis on a a wee island called Stroma, just off the north coast of Scotland. 19 years old, drunk all the time, just terrified the, the Calvinist people up at this little island. And every weekend, you'd get a pass and go to the bar and you'd stay drunk and bring back the booze to the island and almost terrorize these folks. One weekend, a pass he, he had. He went across the mile difference between the, the mainland and the island, and there's a, a little cafe where the bus stop was. So he went in to have a cup of tea waiting for the bus to come, and between the salt and pepper shaker, there's, there's a gospel tract. He'd never, seen the, never been in church, never saw a Bible, never heard the gospel, nothing. So he picked up this gospel tract. And it said, for God so loved the world, the John three sixteen scripture, and the, the Holy Spirit convicted him, having never heard anything else. And he started to cry, and the waitress came up, and it was her gospel track. Wow. And she said, son, are you saved? And he didn't know what saved meant as far as, but he, we're from a fishing town in Scotland, and he says, I am saved. He says, "What's this word?" And she says, "That's from the Bible, son. That's a whole, that's a book, God's book." And he says, "Where can I get one from?" She says, "Well, the Kirk of Scotland, the Church of Scotland, has got a, a reading room, uh, and you can get, you can get them, you can buy them there." So he got in the bus, went up to the place, and um, bought all the Bibles with his money. Went back and told all the people in the island that he just found Jesus in the cafe. And as soon as we passed, he went down to Peterhead, where we come from, and told this alcoholic family that we didn't have to live this way. In seven years, they persecuted him. And two young boys from Bible school in England came up to Peterhead to have a a series of meetings, and they couldn't get a place to stay, uh, have their church services. And they ended up having their services, and a man called Rob Brown, I actually met this man, he's a a barber, and um, they had six weeks of services in Rob Brown's house. And um, they had 96 converts, and out of the ninety six, sixty seven of them were Camerons. Sixty seven of them were your family. Yes, yeah. And my mother was one of them. And my father was in Italy in the army. Um, he was part of a peacekeeping force in Trieste. And my mother wrote my father and says, "I've given my heart to Jesus." And my father thought she'd fallen over with a guy called Jesus. <laughs> and he says, I'll, "I'll fix you when I when she finally told him it was the Son of God. It was that guy." And And he says, oh, so it's religion. And um, he says, I'll knock this out of you when I get back. And for seven years, he wouldn't let her go to church. Wow. If she prayed, he would beat her. And after seven years, one day he was working in this factory, cutting wood at a a sawmill. And he was on a 27-inch saw. And my mother was back in this little shack they were staying in. And um, she says, I can't take this anymore. I can't take this abuse and this beating anymore. And she prayed, and at the same time she prayed in the shack they were staying in. The spirit of God convicted my father, and he began to shake and weep. And his brother John, happened to walk past and saw him trying to get the saw, this wood in the saw. And he says, "What's wrong with you, Simon?" And he said in Scottish, "I don't know can. I don't know, I don't know can. And he took him off the saw and took him home to the mother. And um, he, he had a big fight with her that day and said, I'm finished with you and I'm sick of this religious stuff. And my mother looked at him and he's crying and was just sobbing. And um, he, he kept saying, my, my mother says, what's wrong with you, Simon? I don't know, I, I don't know, I don't know, I can And she says, I know what's wrong with you. You're under the conviction of the Holy Ghost. And he looked at her he, like he'd been shot. And she says, the Bible says, if you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. And my father thought she meant shout, call, and he was, he was shouting, "Tack me, Jesus! Tack me, Jesus!" And um, Jesus took him that day, and he became a preacher overnight. He, he drove the pastor of the church crazy. <laughs> and um, he, he I've got to tell. Please, pastor, let me testify. Wednesday night, let me testify. Sa- Saturday night service, let me testify. Sunday morning, let me testify. <laughs> and he was like that until the day he died. I'm um, the greatest man of God I've ever met in my life. And I, I do what I do to please God and to please Him.
1: Yeah. Wow, what an incredible man and an incredible testimony of 67 of your family all being saved at the same time.
2: Absolutely. And let me tell you, there's people listening to this today whose family is going to hell in a handbasket. Mm. And the promise of God, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved and your family and you're not just praying in the dark and whistling in the dark and hoping that somehow somewhere something happens you are believing for your family in accordance to the will of God God wants you and for your, it's for your children and your children's children to a thousand generations and if your son is breaking your heart and your kids are breaking your heart I or maybe your husband's breaking your heart I'm here to tell you that God has a purpose And God can save your entire family. If he did it for the Camerons, he will do it for you. Mm. Don't give up.
0: Well, those are extremely encouraging words from Philip Cameron, who has seen his family completely turned around. He said they'd gone from being the town drunks of Peterhead, Scotland, to being radical Jesus lovers. And, of course, now his ministry is helping to turn around the lives of countless orphans in Moldova. Philip is the author of the book, They Call Me Dad, How God Uses the Unlikely to Save the Discarded. And to find out more about his ministry, the website is stellasvoice.org. That's stellasvoice.org, S-T-E-L-L-A-S-V-O-I-C-E.org. Well, thanks for joining us for this inspiring story. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story.
1: My brother, he was religious and I didn't think he was very cool at all. So I avoided him in case he talked to me about Christian things. (laughs) I was really not very nice to him, actually. But anyway, uh, so I went into the hospital to see him with my mum. And uh, there was some discussion. I don't remember much what we talked about. But I do remember coming down the staircase of the hospital and saying to my mum, I have a feeling that my brother's going to die.
0: Janet and Warren Thayer from Perth met at her brother Adrian's funeral, and it would change the direction of both their lives in more ways than one. We'll find out the unexpected positive impact of this otherwise tragic event next time. The story. The story. Just another way Vision is connecting faith to life.